Amen. All right. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Jesse Davis. Um, I love this house. It feels like my family. It feels like my house. And so it's good to be here with you guys. Um, I got to preach at a conference here this last summer. And then I was also with your young adults. And um, the whole reason for that is, though, is that um, I met your pastor early last year. And him and I just connected um, and got to hang out, got to spend a little bit bit of time with one another. And um, I want it, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. And over the last year and a half, John and I, my husband, and I have gotten to know uh, Derek and Angie, and they've poured into me, they've poured into us. We are, um, you know, young church planners, young pastors, and we kind of don't know what we're doing. I mean, we kind of know what we're doing, you know what I mean? But uh, it's so good to have people that are speaking into our lives. And as I got to know Pastor Derek, as I got to know Pastor Angie, um, I realized kind of what kind of visionaries they they are and then what kind of workhorses they are. They are ox. They know how to plow ground. And they pay uh, prices in the dark that nobody knows about. And so uh, I wanted today to just honor them. And so would you just give pa uh, Pastor Derek and Angie just some honor right now? And can we uh, just give them a hand and give them some gratitude and grace? Um, it's a good house. It's a beautiful house. Um, I've gotten to know Open Bible over the last couple um, of months, and um, what a gift. Uh, Y'all have a foundation of humility and service, unlike most houses that I've visited, and I've seen a bunch. And so um, it is a real big joy to be here. Um, like I said, uh, my name is Jesse. We uh, planted a church, my husband and I, downtown Denver. Uh, we planted at the height of the pandemic, November 22nd of 2020. That was when we said, okay, it's go time. And uh, so when John and I like to say when the rest of the world is running away and when everybody else is fleeing the city, that's when we go. We go when it's dark. That's what we say in our house. And so when everybody else is fleeing the fight, that's where we believe actually Jesus shows up. Amen. And so, yeah, so that's what we did. And uh, I have a photo of my family. This is uh, John, my husband, um, of 14 years this June. These are our children. We've got Brooklyn Diane. We've got Georgia Faith and Houston Jonathan. And he is just the sweetest little uh, prince, and we're not sure if he's finishing our family, but if he does, he's the bomb, and so, um, so yeah, so that's us, uh, but what I thought we would preach about today, and um, as we get into this series, you started a series last week, for those of you who weren't here, called Redo, Redo. And um, this whole series is about taking regret from our past and turning it into resolve in the moment that we live in. I love that. I think that's amazing, right? Pastor Derek kicked it off, and what I thought we'd talk about today is this idea of new beginnings. And I think that um, for you and for me, um, if you've lived enough years and you've lived enough life, you get to a point where all of a sudden you hear something that sounds like new or someone says new, and in your heart you say, yeah, right. Like, like someone says new beginnings and you're like, I don't buy it. And so what I wanted to talk about today is the reality that we are living in a time when we're living in a space where the American church and the American believer needs to actually step into something new with Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, it says this in Isaiah 43. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See here, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Everybody say now. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And so we've had uh, the last two and a half years, I think we could all agree that we are in need of something brand new. 
And so I titled this morning, if you are taking notes, New is Better Than Next. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for... um, I thank you for the joy that I have in sewing into this house this morning. Um, I, love, I love what I get to do. I'm so grateful, God. But God, if you don't show up here and if you don't move and if you don't attach to every single word, then God, this whole thing is, is, is pointless. And so God, would you make it so that nobody leaves here unchanged, that every single person that falls under the sound of my voice, God, that your word would not return void, God, that people that would understand that you need to do something brand new within them, God, that they would understand that you have a plan for them, and God, that they wouldn't just have humility, that they wouldn't just have service, but they'd have vision for their life. God, I pray it was a service like this where you called me into ministry. God, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would guide people into something new, that we would build new pathways, streams in the wasteland, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So uh, oftentimes, I was thinking about it this week, uh, when we say new, right, when you and I say new, okay, I think we kind of mean something different than when God says new, okay? When you and I say new, um, oftentimes what I think we actually mean is next, Okay, and here's what I mean. Uh, how many of you are Apple fans? You've got like Apple tablets, Apple watches, Apple, uh, yeah, the whole thing, iPhones. You love Steve Jobs. I wore a turtleneck in his honor, right? Like, and so every October, right, you know, it, it, for those of you who are like true blue, like Star Trekky Apple geeks, you know that every, every October, you know, Steve Jobs, before he passed away, would get up on a stage probably about this size with a massive screen behind him and all of the geeks from all around America would would fly in and they were like, oh my gosh, it's the, it's the Apple rollout, right? And they would present a new product, right? And so he'd get up on stage and he would show off this product and he'd go, behold, the new iPhone. And every geek from around America was like, oh my gosh, you know? And then he'd be like, look, it has a new home button. And everybody was like, woo. And he's like, and it comes in a new shape. And everybody's like, whoa. And he's like, in this year, you can get it in eight different colors. It comes in red. It comes in gold. It comes in pink. It comes, you know, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Especially the ladies, they're like, it comes in pink. You know, like, you know. And then he's like, and look, and not only, you know, because we are a self-involved and self-delusional generation, he's like, not only are there two cameras on the back and one camera on the front, now there are four cameras on the back. And everybody's like, like their brains just blow up in that moment, right? And then he says, and you can get it this fall for $1,400. And like you hear a record scratch, like it's like, you know, and someone screams in the back and runs out the door, you know? (laughs) Because, Because all of us know deep down, like we're kind of being duped. Do you know what I mean? Like all of us know, like this product is not worth that. Because we all know that this is not new. Like, we all know that. This is not new. This is just my old iPhone with a couple upgrades. This is just what's next. And I think oftentimes when you and I say new, this is what we mean. When you and I say, I want to have a new iPhone, what we really mean is I want the next iPhone. When you and I say, I want, my, I want a new job, I'm going to get a new job, what we really mean is we want the next job. 
When you and I say, oh man, it's a new year, new year, new me, you know what we really mean is I want the next year. I want the old me, but with a couple of upgrades. What you need to understand is that when you and I say new, oftentimes it's like a book and it's like we're turning the page of the same book. But what you need to understand is that when Jesus says new, when our God says new, what he means is that he throws out, although you wouldn't throw this out, it's the Bible, it's the Holy Bible. You never throw that, it's picture a book, I'm going to hold a different book. You throw a book out and he gives you a brand new book. In fact, the reason I know this is because the very first verse that I memorized as a believer was this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come or is here. See, when we say new, when we say I want something new, we mean my old iPhone with a couple of upgrades. We mean my old job, but maybe with a new boss and a new parking space. We mean our old year, but with a couple, maybe my old year, but 2.0. And when God says new, he means completely redone, completely changed, completely brand new. And it is not next, Reach Church. It is brand new. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be hanging out today. um, And we're going to be hanging out in 1 Samuel. And we're going to be hanging out in chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go there. And uh, we are going to be seeing God do something brand new in his people just like he's doing today. And it says this, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over the people of Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction everything that they have. Don't spare them. But kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All right, so we're picking up here. This is Samuel the prophet, okay? He uh, oversees and has anointed the very first king of Israel, whose name's Saul, okay? And for a season, Saul was an incredible king. He uh, led them into military conquest. Underneath him, the people of Israel, they united, okay? For a season, he was a really good king. And whenever they would go to war, God would give them very specific directives as how to deal with the enemy. How many of you know God gives you very specific directives for how to deal with the enemy? enemies in your life. And in this case, he had a particular disdain for the people named Amalek. The reason for this is that when his people, the Israelites, were fleeing Egypt and they had no defenses, they had no armor, it was just man and woman and and children, and that was when, when they were the weakest, that was when Amalek decided to come after them and attack them. If you ever wondered how God feels about the enemies of his children and people who attack his kids, you need look no further than 1 Samuel 15. Because he says, I don't want you to spare anything from the enemy. You take it all out. You remove every piece that the enemy has and don't leave anything but devote everything to destruction. That was his words to King and to Saul. So it says this, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the uh, best of the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and they would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. Okay, so Saul listens to God Kind of, okay? You ever like listen to God kind of? 
Do you know what I mean? You do like partially what he says, I want you to give $500. You're like, how's a hundred? You know, he's like, I want you to go and I want you to serve this person. You're like, how about I just pray for them, right? This is Saul in this moment. He has partial obedience, which is really just disobedience, okay? And the Bible says that he spared Agag, the king of the Amaleks, and then he spared the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the calves. He spared them, and listen, not because he's merciful, because he's greedy. And so God looks at Samuel, his prophet, and he says this. This is a really important moment in Scripture. He says, I regret making Saul my king. I regret it. I need you to go, and I need you to tell Saul as much. And so Samuel, brokenhearted, leaves to go tell Saul that God is rejecting him. And when he shows up at Saul's door, he's like, hey, Saul, hey, man, um, need to talk to you, dude. And he's like, oh, great, just got done with war. I'm all sweaty. Sit down, right? And he's like, Saul, Saul, so did you listen to God? Like, did you do everything that God told you to do? Did you, you know, did you kill every animal, every sheep? And, and Saul's like, oh, yeah, he lies. This is true. It's in 1 Samuel 15. He lies. He's like, oh, yeah, did everything God told me to do. And Samuel goes, I know you're lying, Saul. He goes, and this is what he says. He goes, because I can hear sheep in your backyard. <laughs> That's what, actually what he says. And Saul's like, oh, yeah, I mean, my bad. I mean, yeah. And then he says this. He goes, but it's not my fault. He says, it's the people's fault. They made me do it. And Samuel says, no, man, I know you're lying again, okay? Because I know that you're king. You're in charge of everything. This was actually your call. And then Saul finally fesses up. He goes, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. He lies one more time. He says, I did. It was my call. I kept the sheep. I kept the calves. He goes, but I was going to sacrifice them to the Lord, and he feigns holiness. And at this point, Samuel's like, oh, man, I wish your response would have been anything different than this. How many of you understand that when God calls you out on your sin, he's just looking for one thing? Like, he's just looking for you to own it. Do you know the difference between David and Saul? Saul could have been David. Do you know the difference between David and Saul is that both of them sinned. They had horrific sin in their life, but one of them was repentant. And God is simply looking for a heart that is after himself. And that doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that when God calls on you, you come forward with a clear and a cleansed heart. Amen. And so in this moment, Samuel looks at him and he's broken heart and he's like, Saul. And he's like, because you have rejected God in your heart, God has rejected you as king. And Saul, like, loses it, okay? He tears his robe. He starts begging. He's like, Samuel, no. You know, like, it's a really ugly scene of a man losing power. And then the Bible says this. It says, and then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house of Gebeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Then we're going to skip ahead to chapter 16. It says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, How long, Samuel, are you going to grieve over Saul since I've rejected him as being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel is struggling to say goodbye. He is struggling to let go of what once was. And God speaks to him and he says, Samuel, I'm about to do something so new, so terrific, 
so anointed, so powerful, like you can't even possibly comprehend it. But you are going to have to fill your horn with oil and go. And here's the deal, Reach Church, is that in 2023, for you and for me, God wants us to step into something brand new. Like he genuinely wants you to step into the anointing of what is coming. Amen? But in order to do that, you are going to have the courage to say goodbye to what was. And so my first point is simply this. There is a let go before there is a hello. The Bible says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long, Samuel, are you going to grieve for Saul since I have rejected him as being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. How long, Samuel, are you going to grieve over what was? How long are you going to ruminate on the past? How long are you going to struggle with this goodbye? There's a let go before there's a hello. See, um, how many of you struggle with goodbyes, like airport goodbyes? Struggle with saying goodbye to friends, saying goodbye to seasons. This is my husband. I love my husband. He's amazing, right? Uh, but my husband, like, I'll be, like, leaving for work, and, and it's, like, go time. I've got my coffee, like, right? And, and I'm like, getting in the car, and he's like, oh, wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, 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 wait. And he's like, and he's like, one, one more, one more, like, he's like, one more goodbye. That's my husband. It's amazing. I know this about him, right? We'll get done with a vacation. It'll be, like, day five of a day six vacation, right? And, and. And, and all of a sudden, he'll be so sad. And I'll look at him, and I'll be like, babe, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I just know tomorrow's my last day, our last day. You know, kids are getting big, and it's just, you know, just struggling to say goodbye. And I'm like, okay, you know. Or it'll be like the day after Christmas, and, you know, we're tearing things down. And John is so sad. And I'll look at him, and I'm like, are you okay? Everything all right over there? You know, and he's like, I just went by so fast, came and went, you know, so fast. Like, that's my husband. He struggles to say goodbye. Um, we have another family member, though. Her name is Brooklyn, and um, she's nothing like John, okay? Um, Brooklyn's nine. Uh, she's our firstborn. Uh, we either say she's going to be famous or infamous. We're not sure. Pray for her. Um, right? But she uh, has never struggled to say goodbye. In fact, one of her very first words was the word goodbye. And I remember John and I, we were so excited the week that she started saying dada. That was her favorite, her first word. And we were like, oh, this is awesome. We look at her and we'd be like, say dada. And she'd be like, dada. And we were like, ah, you know, I'm crying. He's crying. And then he leaves the room and I'm like, okay. Okay, now say mama. You say, Mama, I carried you for nine months. You say, Mama, right? And she's like, this is a true story. This is about a week later. I'm looking at her, and I'm like, okay, put your lips together. Mama, Mama. And she looks at me, and she goes, Dada? And then she goes, bye-bye. And I was like, dude, no, right? Like, you're not, no, this is not what I want you to be saying. And I would leave for work, and I would leave her with a daycare or with a babysitter, and I'd be so brokenhearted. For those of you who remember leaving your firstborn, you moms in here, you know what it's like. Your heart's just kind of like ripping in half when you leave. And I'm like, okay, I love you, honey. Like, you're going to have a great day with grandma. And she's like, okay, bye-bye, mama. Right? Like, heartless almost. Like, just no, no feeling. I drop her off at kids' church. All the rest of the kids are, like, clinging to their parents. She's like, bye, mom. Like, just, 
every single time. In fact, she thought it was a way that she could end events early. So I remember we were sitting around dinner one night, and we're out to dinner with uh, my, my, my sister. They called her Chrissy. They call her Tissy. And so she's done with her mac and cheese. She wants to leave. She's like two years old. She sets down her fork. She looks directly at my sister. She goes, okay, bye-bye, Tissy. Like, she, like, you know, like, if I say bye-bye, like, maybe we'll go, right? And I was like, this is how this works, girlfriend. Uh, but even recently, uh, John and I decided to put our kids in Christian school. Uh, we pulled our kids out of public. We went to public. I love public. And some people are like, oh, you know, are you sheltering your kids? I'm like, yeah, with the word of the Lord. <laughs> right? For those of you uh, who know what I'm talking about, the last couple of years have been intense. I didn't grow up in church. Like, I never would have thought I would have put my kids in private school, but that's what we're doing. And so I drop her off. This is, like, during the pandemic at a brand new school. Brand new teachers, everybody's wearing masks. She doesn't have to wear one, but all of her teachers are. And I'm thinking, she's got to be terrified. Like, she, she's six years old. She's seven years old. And she's got a brand new backpack, and uh, they don't let you walk your kids in because of the pandemic, right? And so uh, I have to, like, just let her out at the drop-off line. And I'm, like, I'm like broken inside, and I, like, I look in the back seat, and I'm like, okay, baby, okay. Like, literally, she launches out of the back. She's like, bye, Mom! Like, so courageous, fearless. And it's almost as if, I don't know, Brooklyn understands something that the rest of us don't. Brooklyn understands that in order to receive what's next, in order to receive what's new, it requires, it has the prerequisite of saying goodbye. She has no problem saying goodbye. And I think for you and for me, we struggle to do this. I think for you and for me, we struggle to say goodbye to past pain. We struggle to say goodbye to past regrets. Come on, am I the only one that feels this? We struggle to say goodbye to um, maybe past failures or sins in our life, setbacks. We struggle to say goodbye to past glories. And Psychology Today uh, writes about this, and they write this. It says, rarely is dwelling on the past seen in a positive light, nor should it be. Thinking too much about times gone by typically leads your mind and keeps your thinking life stuck in neutral and maybe even shifts it into reverse. If you habitually ruminate over your earlier life, you may regularly be revisited by feelings of anger, guilt, resentment, sorrow, and shame. Such emotions are hardly productive. In many ways, they're downright toxic. Fretfully obsessing about the people and events that precipitated such negative feelings can lead to an endless recycling. And becoming increasingly stagnant or fixated, your thinking can't progress, listen to this, towards any adaptive solution. You cannot think ahead because your mind is stuck in the past. Moreover, returning to uh, the past to rehearse old dissatisfactions and grievances, even to replay images of earlier triumphs and idly preoccupying yourself with irreconcilable thoughts about them can result in self-reproach, lamentation, remorse, and even bitterness. Using your mental energy for such a doubtful purpose can catapult you into an inextricable pit of woulda, coulda, shoulda with the result being that you end up being consumed with re regret, which French existentialist Albert Camus has referred to the most futile of emotions. Psychology Today writes, and they say, hey, look, dwelling on the past is awful for your mind, for your thoughts, for your emotions, for your well-being. Not only this, though, it actually keeps you from being able to take hold of what's new. 
It actually is keeping your mind stuck in neutral. And if not, it is taking your mind in reverse. And what's amazing is that Isaiah already says this. Isaiah says this, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? See, some of us in the room, we cannot even perceive what God is doing in this next season because we are too stuck in the past. Some of us who have walked with God for so long, we've seen him do glory-filled things. You have to stop remembering them and start looking ahead to what God is doing in the future because it's going to be brand new. In fact, Jesus even says this. He's like, you can't ruminate on what's, what was. You cannot, he says this to his disciples in Luke 6. It says, but Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul writes this, he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. You know what that makes me think of? Monkey bars. um, Have you guys done, how many of you have done monkey bars like in the last year? It's so hard. My gosh, like those little like small bodies, like all you guys in the front row, treasure the days that you can do a monkey bar, right? It's so hard now. I literally like, I don't know what's up with my core strength. I can't even do it anymore, right? And so we're at the playground, all three of the kids, me and my husband, all of our children, and we're hanging out with our kids and they're just flying on the monkey bars, or at least our oldest was, right? But our middle child, Georgia, she's actually crazy athletic, right? But she's doing this on the monkey bars. Tell me if this rings a bell, right? She goes like this, and then she's like, do-do, do-do, right? Like, like just trying so hard to make it to that next bar. And finally, John gets sick of it, and he's like, okay, Georgia, Georgia, i got to show you how to do this. Let me show you, right? And he's like, Georgia, if you want to do this, okay, if you want to really be moving on the monkey bars, here's what you have to do. You have to reach for the next bar. And then you have, to, you have to encourage, it does take courage, you have to let go of that last bar. And then the weight of your body and the inertia of your body is going to propel you forward onto the next thing. And I feel like God wants to tell somebody in here today that in order for you to have inertia in 2023, in order for you to actually step into something that God wants to do in this next season, you are going to have to have the courage to let what was of your past pain, of your past glories. There is a let go in Jesus' name before there is a hello. Number two, it's a totally new look. It is a totally new look. God is uh, doing something new in Israel, and Samuel could probably not even comprehend what he is about to do the day that he shows up to Jesse's house. And so he shows up to Jesse's house. His horn is full of oil. He is about to anoint the brand new king. The Bible says he shows up and immediately he knocks on the door. And who opens the door but Eliab? And look, immediately Samuel looks at him and he's like, ah, this is the Lord's anointed one. Why does he say that? Because he looks just like Saul. He's a head taller than everybody else. He's probably arrogant like Saul, right, because he's the oldest. I'm the oldest, right? And he walks in, and he's like, surely this is the Lord's anointed, and God speaks to Samuel, and he says, no. No, you, you look at the outside. You look at things, and you look at what was, and you assume that that is what is, but God looks at the heart, 
And so they continue forward, and Jesse begins parading out his sons before Samuel. He's like, okay, I've got this son. And God says, nope, that's not him. I've got this son. Nope, that's not him. I've got this son. Nope, that's not him, right? He just keeps going. And finally, like, he doesn't even bring out David because he assumes, like, there's no way that this kid could be king. You think you got family problems, okay? <laughs> like, David's out tending sheep, and his dad doesn't even recognize that he's one of his sons, all right? And at that point, what you need to understand is that David doesn't look anything like Saul. You need to remember that he actually was smaller than Saul. Uh, we know this when he goes to fight uh, Goliath. He shows up. He proclaims the name of the Lord. He has faith as he goes into this fight. And Saul looks at him. And he's like, all right, kid, he knows this kid's going to get destroyed, right? And so he's like, why don't you at least take my armor? And David tries it on, but it doesn't fit. I think sometimes we expect our new, when it comes to uh, this world, we expect our new to look like somebody's refurbished next. Like we expect our new to be like, oh, I'm going to fit in somebody else's clothes. Maybe I'm going to be somebody else's 2.0. I'm going to look at Instagram. I'm going to look at their life. I'm going to look at their ministry. And I'm going I'm to emulate that. And maybe with a few upgrades. That's not new. That is next. And God wants to do something in you. That is brand new. That is brand new. Um, when John and I planted a church, um, I, have, I had already been in ministry. We had already been in ministry for 11 years. And we'd seen enough ministry that we kind of knew uh, how this thing goes. We knew what works. We knew what didn't, right? And I remembered one day I was praying and God spoke to me before we were planting the church. And he says, hey, I want you to serve a city and I want you to set a pace. And I don't know if you guys uh, know what it looks like in horse races. But in horse races, when they go to race, when they go to run their race, horses often have blinders on each side of their face. The reason for this is so that they don't look at the other racers to the right or to the left of them. And I felt God give me this image. He's like, you are going to have to run a race and you are going to set a pace, but you cannot look to your right or to your left. In other words, one city church cannot be like somebody else's refurbished next. One city church cannot look like, you know, you take someone else's mission statement, you take another church's, you know, um, you know their, their, their vision, their mission, and then you attach your branding to it and call it good. You are going to have to do the hard work of digging into me and staying in my presence so that I can tell you what's brand new. And so we did that. Which is why I honestly think that the spirit is so alive at our church is because it is not just the next thing. It is a new thing. I think God is looking at a bunch of people and he's like, do you want what's new? Because it is not going to look like someone else's clothing. It is not going to look like somebody else's gear 2.0. It is a totally new look. Which brings me to my last point and it's this. The new will be better. So sad and mourning Saul could not have even imagined what was waiting for him that day when he walks up to Jesse's house. Like he probably had no clue because he walks in assuming that he is going to find Saul. And him and Jesse, they assume that they are looking for Saul 2.0, but what they find not is Saul who looked the part, but David who had God's heart. And under David, under David's leadership, they take new ground, they build kingdoms, they unite, they become rich as a nation. Listen, the amount of favor 
that happens with God's new is untellable. God is doing a new thing. And I think in 2023, this is what the world needs. It does not need our next. It does not need our ideas 2.0. It needs something brand new from glory to glory. And I think sometimes we're afraid of what's new because it doesn't look anything like what was. Sometimes we're afraid of what's new because we couldn't even comprehend how it could actually be better. See, and they were expecting the next Saul, but what they got was a new move of God and the coming of a savior. Isaiah 11 says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and from his roots the branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Out of the shoot of Jesse will come the Messiah. See, because every single time in the Bible God does something new, he's actually just leading us and preparing this ocean to lead us to Jesus. When God spoke to Abraham and he did something completely new and he led him into Ur, it was because he was preparing the way for Jesus. When he had Joseph go to Egypt, it was because he was preparing the way for Jesus. When he had Moses take the Israelites and guide them into the promised land, it's because he's preparing the way for Jesus. And for you and for me, when he is doing a new thing in our lives, it is because he wants to give you the new beginning, which is Jesus himself. But listen to this. It's not just for you. It is not just for you. It is so that you can be a conduit for Jesus himself. Out of the shoot of Jesse. See, God is doing a new thing. Forget the former things, Reach Church. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Um, if everybody in here could stand. You don't need a new, new calendar or a new planner because it's really just the next planner. You don't need um, a new iPhone. You don't need your new idea because it's really just the next idea. What we all need is truly a move of God. And new is better than next. So with every head bowed in here, I just have one question. And my question is this. If you are in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I was 17 years old when I met him. I knew that there was something fractured within me, that there was something um, faulty within me. And I knew that I needed him. And I, some of you are in here, there's someone in here today and you can feel your heart racing, your heart pounding. You've been coming to church, you've been doing the right thing, but you don't know him. And he is your new beginning. So if that's you in here and you would have the courage to say, Jesus, this is today. You are my new beginning. You are, the old is gone and the new has come through you. If that's you in here, would you raise your hand nice and high so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. 
Jesus, I thank you for every single hand in here that raised. God, we know that if we confess before uh, you, God, that we are sinners and that apart from you we have nothing, that we rely on Jesus and we call on him as our Lord and our Savior, we get his Holy Spirit in the here and now and we get heaven forever. And we praise you for that, God. And so for every single person that's in here, I pray that they would pray that prayer, that before they leave today, they tell somebody. And God, I pray for every single believer that has walked with you for a season or two. I pray you'd give them revelation that your new is better than next. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Wow. Are you ready for something new in your life? Why don't we give a hand Pastor Jesse Davis. <clears throat> so that was week two. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took great notes. I don't know if she was talking to you today, but I can tell you this. She was talking to me today. So thank you for that. Amen. Uh, next week will be week three. Come ready. Come expecting. Amen. Have a blessed, blessed rest of your day and your week. In Jesus' name, have a great day.